Hey, good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here. It's good to see everybody, and we're going to start on time because we have lots to go over, and it's always frustrating at that final bell to say, ah, there's so much more we could, could have uh, delved into. Um, thank you all for taking time this morning to be here. I hope your weekend is going well, despite the rain and the tsunami warnings uh, last night. You all <laughs> made it here. We are studying the book of John, and we are going through the Gospel of John, not in a verse-by-verse method. Instead, we are going, taking a thematic approach, and I've told him this privately, but Tim, I'd like to say publicly, too, I really appreciate your help in co-teaching this class. And Tim's done an excellent job the last couple of weeks while I was gone, uh, taking us back to the Old Testament and showing why, if you're really going to understand this Gospel in the New Testament, you don't just read half your Bible or the last third of your Bible. You really need to be reading the whole Scripture. And then last week, uh, reminding us or giving us eyes to see when you read through John, start to finish, how many times you run across ironies or misunderstandings that are intentionally described for you so that what is true and real and meaningful jumps off the page. And so he did a great job of teaching us about the ironies and the misinformation. I enjoyed looking at those online afterwards Good. the last couple of weeks. Good. Uh, So as we've been doing every week, uh, before we dive into the topic of today, um, we're trying to get, hopefully, spur you on subtly and directly to read the whole book of John. Um, And as Court mentioned a few weeks ago, there's different ways you can experience that. You can do it uh, through reading, the more traditional, uh, long-term way, Um, or you can do it through uh, video experience, you can do it through audio, uh, there's lots of ways you can experience it. So hopefully you've been encouraged somewhat to go dive back in, see if the, if the stuff we're touting out actually makes any sense or if we're just making it up. Uh, but we'd like to, as we've been doing, start off with, has anyone, as you've been experiencing the Book of John, what has jumped out to you or what have you experienced um, that, was, that was significant to you or that maybe you hadn't noticed before or that kind of pulled on your own heartstrings of, of what made you enjoy this message even more than you, maybe you have before? John 9 again, the blind man, the story of the blind man. And it talks about his parents didn't sin, he didn't sin, and so that the works of God could be displayed. And we talked about that last week that I thought. Well, that's kind of a secondary summary of the entire book of John. The works that show he's God. You know, that those miraculous works can be displayed. So I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, so Stephen's pointing out in chapter 9 in the story of the blind man. When, they first, when the story first begins, they mention, hey, is this guy blind because he sinned or his parents? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You know, there's your misunderstanding. He's blind because so that God could reveal the glory of himself through this man, through what he was going to do for him. And that, that's real analogous to then chapter 20, uh, verses 30 through 31, John's whole thesis, Jesus came so that you would believe and have life in his name. Um, so yeah, it's an excellent point. You start seeing the, the thematic themes flow through each chapter and each word, and that's kind of fun to point out. Anybody else? Please. Back up at the beginning, in chapter 2, when um, Mary's at the wedding and Jesus and the disciples are, uh, it reminded me of when I was a kid, I can just imagine when she told us that there was more wine, and he asked her, why are you asking me that? And she didn't even ask her. I just see her getting ready to look and say, whatever you tell you, you do it. So uh, my mom gave me, look, I passed it up over my kids, so I can just imagine the look she gave me. But she didn't answer him. She 
Yeah. So there's this point which I don't think I could say to the same justice, but basically in the story of Jesus turning the water to wine, at the beginning Mary says, or sorry, his mother Mary says, uh, hey Jesus, they're out of wine, they need more. And he makes his statement, which I think we often misinterpret a little bit. Of, it kind of sounds like he's insulting her, which he's not. Uh, but that's a different topic. But he basically says, it's not my time yet. And she doesn't answer him directly, but she kind of looks at the servants and just says, do whatever he tells you to do. You know, you kind of get this, maybe in our modern context, you get an impression of like a big eye roll at that moment. You know, when she's saying it, just, Jesus, we know, you know what you're doing, just go do it. So, yeah, it's, it's fun to point out those little oddities. <coughs> Any others? So that, as we've been doing that after this point, we like to always go to uh, John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. Um, and just a reminder that as you read the book of John, filter everything you read in it through this, his thesis statement. Because um, this is essentially what John is trying to point you back to in everything he does in this book. And I don't have your version, so I'll let you read it. Yeah. Well, I was hoping this would go up online. I may have to switch our technology real quick <laughs> after, we, after we read this. Uh, but let me just read the thesis statement, and then we'll jump into the uh, discussion part. So here, if you have a Bible, turn over to John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so you'll notice the end of that passage, uh, this is the summary statement at the end of John, and John says at the end of that, the whole reason he wrote this book, and the whole reason he tells you about these signs, is so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and that by believing that, you would find, here's the word for today, life in his name. Now, I'm going to read something here, <laughs> and then I'll work on the technology maybe in just a minute. Um, but whenever we go into scripture, it's important to remember that reading scripture is always a cross-cultural event. The words that you are reading, though they are written in English, are there through translators. The original words were written by John in Greek. And so you have a, a document that was written in Greek by a person who had a Jewish mind and was thinking in terms of images from even the Old Testament. And so to walk into this book is sort of like getting on an airplane traveling to a different country. You're going to run into new words. Those words are going to have different meanings. Even if you go to a country where they speak a little bit of English, those words that are used may have very different connotations. There will be different customs and so forth. My point is that it's important as you read through these ancient documents and are applying them in a modern setting that you don't lose sight of the fact that really this is a cross-cultural kind of experience. And the danger in not recognizing that is that when you're reading a passage like we just read, you will immediately assign meaning to a word uh, based on your, your current contemporary understanding of that word. And so when he says that you will have life in his name, you know what life is, right? Everybody here knows what life is. If I said, do you know what life is? Everybody knows what life is. Raise your hand if you know what life is. Yeah, okay, see, so you have a pretty good idea of that. Let's see if that's true. So what do you mean by the word life? Now, what I don't have on the screen that I can tell you about is a couple of years ago in Rochester, Minnesota, there was a patient who had gone to the Mayo Clinic and had been cured of cancer twice. 
and he was so grateful that the doctors had helped cure him of cancer, he bought one of those huge billboards, you know, that you normally see beside the highway in the lower 48, and uh, put it right there in the middle of Rochester, and on the sign it says, I beat cancer twice. And then he says, thank you, Mayo Clinic, Dr. Larson, Dr. Kwan, and Dr. Bears. This was put out by Paul Olson. Now, uh, Paul Olson put up that billboard as a way of saying thank you for these individuals. And uh, maybe Stephen knows what this is like. Sometimes patients will say thank you in the wildest ways because they're so thankful. And the, the news agency got hold of the story, and they, uh, they asked him, why did you put this up? And he said, I just wanted to thank my doctors and Mayo for their extraordinary assistance for saving my life again, he said. So let's play with that just a little bit and see if we can figure out what did Paul Olson mean by the word life? And he said, I just wanted to thank the doctors for saving my life. What exactly is, or what are all the things he could have meant by using this word life? What exactly did Paul Olson here, what did Mr. Olson think was being saved? His physical existence. So great, his physical existence is one of the things that may have been, <laughs> we're going to have an airplane mode. Degna, can you go up there and unplug the airplane? And... Uh, Sorry, I have an IT expert who's going to help me out here. If you could unplug the AirPlay and just plug this HDMI back into the uh, cord, and then we'll actually have some pictures up here. So his physical existence. So it could be that Mr. Olson was saying, I want to thank these doctors for saving my body, <laughs> right? And, uh, and, and you'd be exactly right. That's probably what he had in mind, is that they went in to cut the cancer twice. And do you know that uh, John, even 2,000 years ago, had a really good word for that, the word by the word soma. It's one of the words that you have in Scripture for at least one characteristic or one aspect of life. What else could uh, Mr. Olson have meant? Surely there's more to life than just my body is still functioning <laughs> when he thanks God for his life. Well, I do think he was probably thinking physical, but it could be the experiences that we go through. Uh-huh. People will say life is about the experiences. It's what you do on a daily basis, who you're with, that sort of the experiences yeah. in life. Yeah, all those things that go into life. Dr. Heffington reminds us that life is more than just the beating of the heart. What is saved are those experiences. And the Greeks had a way of describing that. That was a different characteristic of life, a totally different word for it. We might still use the word life there to say, oh yeah, life is going well. So how's life? And you give me an example of all of those characteristics. Uh, we, but we still use the word life. The ancient Greeks may have used something, something different. What else could Mr. Olson have meant? Let's see if I can show you this. Did you show up? Did it pop up? Yeah, can you just take a second? Well, and if you want to cheat, because this is what I did, uh, if, you go, if you Google the word life and look up the definition, I think you'll actually be a little surprised. Uh, I know when I first did it, you were thinking, when you think of the term life, I think you tend to default to... Uh, you know, what we're talking about is that, oh, it's my body working. It's existing. It's being able to do the things that I enjoy. Uh, but if you actually look up the definition of the word life, there's about 20 different definitions uh, to the word life. And you don't really think about it until you actually start reading them. I mean, some of them are like, you know, when you use phrases like my livelihood, you know, how you make money. Um, you say things like, oh, he was the life of the party. Like, you don't, like, what? You know, you don't think about those contexts, but we have this word stretched out over so many different categories and how we use it and function it. And yet, I think sometimes then we, we're naive 
when we come to the scriptures, because we think, oh, well, the word, every time I see this word in the scriptures, it means what I think it means. It's like, well, but that's not how it works in your own society. Why would you, why would you then lay that over onto how you read, you know, these ancient words um, that have been translated and interpolated for you? Because, um, you, again, going back to, you have to get in their cultural mindset. What do these words mean to them? And I know my eyes used to glaze over years ago when people would start talking about the original Greek words. Like, that eh, doesn't matter. I already know what this word means. Um, but I think, you know, hold, you know, maybe wait a second, take a step back, um, and appreciate the original word, the original context, so that you get a bigger, better picture of who this Jesus was. And let's see if we can find some of those other words. So that this is true, and you can cheat and look ahead, like I said, in Webster's Dictionary. Paul Olson says, the doctor saved my life, could have meant his body, could have meant all those other aspects, those experiences in life. But surely there's more to life than just what happens day to day. What else could he mean by it? Reproduction. So yeah. So let's talk. Let's talk biology. Seventh grade biology class. Uh, how do you define life? It's something that <laughs> reproduces. Yeah. And uh, and the Greeks had a word that would help cover that. The ability to pass life on. We could have said thank you for preserving my ability to pass life on. Sometimes your future. You 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 know, saved my life. They saved my future existence. My future. Yeah. yeah. Only two dates on a gravestone. Birthday. Date of death. Uh, what he's saying is thank you for extending the math problem time in between those, those two. And the Greeks had a word for that, ion, which we get the word uh, eons you know, from. But it just meant a span of time. Yeah, so John knew that word too, the span of life. Uh, what else could he mean by the word life? So his, yeah, what do you mean by that, his self? What made him, him. <laughs> So Ada says, uh, one way we use this word life is this, myself. He's referring to, thank you for saving me. But what does he mean by that, a self? And so, and that's that's an important point too. And the Greeks had a word for that, the nous, the mind. And so, if you put the nous, the mind, and the body, pull those together, there's still something really unique about him. I think Ada's onto something important. Is that sometimes we use the word life, and what we're really talking about is this individual's existence, their sense of self. Let's just leave it off. Well, and I know that when we were talking about that a little bit before, my mind immediately went to, like, if you go to a funeral and you see the slideshows, you know, you don't, because we were joking about, sure, the, the body, the soma might be at the funeral, but that's not what you remember, because that's going to decay and go away. What you remember are all the memories, or all the identifiers, or all the things that, that stood out that made this person have a life that was definitive, you know, put them in a time and place in history. You know, it's all those, those uniqueness about who made them who they are. And what made them stand out? I think there's a lot of context in, in what life means from that angle too. Which yeah. I think is kind of what Ada's getting at. Yeah, yeah. And that's such an important one. In fact, in our culture now, people don't have the words for this. But what they're really saying is, myself is so important. Or I'm struggling with how I identify my sense of self. 
The Greeks had a perfectly good word for that. We tend to use the word life. Something's wrong with my life. But the Greeks had a separate word for what it meant to be an individual. Other aspects of life. It could mean their fulfillment or their enjoyment. In other words, people will say, well, I, I really have no life. They do have existence. They have a physical existence, an emotional existence, and they have memories. But then there's the life of the party, the fulfillment, the enjoyment, yeah. the next level of existence. Yeah. More than just and, and there's a word for that, too, totally separate from these other words that John could have pulled from and uses quite a bit. What, what do we call it when somebody is the life of the party? We say they have a lot of energy. And if somebody has a lot of energy, you say, wow, they really have a lot of I the word I'm looking for is spirit. Yeah. You ever hear that? I have a lot of spirit. By that, we're connecting the words. One of the few times we connect that word spirit to the word energy or animation. Somebody's really animated. Uh, and we use that term spirit. Do you realize that that's one of the words John could use, the word pneuma, for the animating force that gives life is spirit. We'll talk about this later on when we talk about the spirit of God in John. Uh, but that's another aspect of life that <clears throat> sort of gets into our mental energy, if you will, or the, uh, that aspect of life where we say, okay, my, my sp- things are good in my spirit. Sometimes you believe we'll use that word spiritual. Very different than that sense of self. Because guess what word in John is usually used by your English translators for the word self? Do you know how that's normally translated in your Bible? Go ahead, Ada, you can say it. It's your soul. Which is a total, this will throw you for a loop. The word soul in scripture is used for what you usually think of as spirit. But the word soul, whenever you run into that in your New Testament, it really just means self. And so when Jesus says something like, uh, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world but give up his soul? The word there is give up his very self. What you don't know is that he used that same word in that same quote one or two verses before when Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, give, uh, take up his cross, and uh, follow me. Uh, for if anyone wants to save his life, he will lose it. And guess what word he uses for life there? It's the word soul, the word self. John uses that too in John chapter 12. Okay, so we're going to, this wasn't a Greek class. It was just meant to bring up, there are these different aspects. Can you think of any others, any other aspects of life when we use that term? We would use it for eternal life, but that's not what the doctor. <coughs> yeah, so he's not saying, I like to thank my doctors for giving me eternal life. Yeah. What word would you use for eternal life? What is it that makes eternal life different from these other aspects of life? The body, living, the, the, life in the spirit. spirit in What's that? It's life in the spirit. So life in the spirit is eternal life. Yeah. Everlasting. Everlasting, so it doesn't stop. So there's not an end date. You've got a birth date. There doesn't seem to be another date on that tombstone. Yeah. There's another aspect of life eternal. And you wouldn't know this. But every time the word life shows up in John connected to the word eternal, it's none of the words that you've mentioned so far. He does not use the Greek word. He had perfectly good words to use here. He did not reach for the word for body. He didn't reach for the word self. 
He didn't reach for the word spirit. He didn't reach for the word daily walking. He didn't reach for the word that just means to live here forever. He reached for a different word. Do you know what that word was? The word is zoe. There's not a reason why you should know that ahead of time. But it is important from now on that you realize that when you drop into your New Testament scripture, your English translators have done their best to give you a word that you use, life. But you always need to pause and ask, what is the meaning of life in this passage? Whenever you run into that word. So what does the word zoe mean? Well, the best I can get for you or give you are examples. I cannot give you a definition of Zoe. When you look up the word life in Webster Dictionary, you'll get, what, 10 or 12 different definitions or ways it's used. It never once gives you the definition of Zoe, life. And you know why? It's because Zoe is one of those words that is only defined by itself. There's no word for it. If I had to raise your hand and say, do you guys know what time is? You'd say, yeah, I know what time is. I'd say, give me the definition. All you would be able to give me are examples. You wouldn't be able to give me a definition of that. If I said, uh, do you know what beauty is? Not just something beautiful, but do you know what actual beauty is? You'd say, yeah, I know what that is. And I said, give me a definition. You'd have a hard time doing that. If I said, do you know what agape love is? And you'd say, yeah. And I said, well, give me a definition. You'd have a hard time with that. Because there are these certain words that are only defined by themselves. There's, there's not a definition for them because they are. They exist. We won't get too deep into that, except to say, when you come across this word life in John, the word most commonly used is going to be this word zoe, which is only defined by itself. And the closest I can get to that is to give you an example of what it feels like to have zoe. If you were to take all of these different aspects that Paul uh, Olson was talking about here, if you were to take the body is working the way it's supposed to, the spirit seems to be right, my sense of self is solid, I know, know who I am, uh, my day-to-day life is going good. I recognize the beauty in life. If you were to take all of those things and put them in their perfect state for just a moment, when everything is just right, do you know how that would feel? You, you, you probably experienced this. And the examples would be here in Alaska. You've watched a beautiful sunset. And there's just a moment when that sun's going down, the sky's radiating. And for just a minute, everything else in life goes away, and you just recognize the beauty of the moment, and everything just seems right. Or it's a holiday meal, and you're sitting around the table with all of the family, and people are laughing and telling stories, and you're the one who's put it all together, and you just sit back and see it all and playing, and you say, yes, this is life. This is right. Or you're at a, those of you who are musicians, you go to a performance, and the orchestra is playing everything just right, and all the instruments are blending together, and you have that sense that, oh, feeling that that music generates and everything is beautiful and it just feels right. For those of you who aren't musicians but who like me can put on Spotify or something on the radio (laughs) and you're there cooking dinner and and your favorite song comes on and you just start dancing to it while you're cooking your meal and everything just seems right. Do you know that feeling? That feeling is not Zoe. That's not life. But for just a moment you're getting a glimpse of what real life is life, of what Zoe is like. That's what God does. He drops into our life these little taste tests, if you will, of real life. And that's the life that Adam and Eve had in the beginning, in the garden. 
when they had access to the tree of life, guess what form of life that is? It's the tree of Zoe. Of course, that would have been in Hebrew, which is Hayat. <laughs> but it, uh, it's the tree of life. Now, why do we go over that? Probably took too long, and we we're already past our time when we were supposed to say so. But it's, yeah. <laughs> here's, the, here's the point. If you turn to the book of John, and something we did, and I don't have the ability to show this to you, but try this yourself. Those of you that have a Bible with a red letter edition, uh, pull up, if you, if you want to sometime, the word life, and see how many times it shows up in John. I claim it shows up in 33 passages. Tim says it shows up in... Yeah, 47. 47. He <laughs> counted a little better than me. Uh, but we're using different versions. It shows up somewhere between 33 and 47 times, the word life. And out of those 47 times, I'll give you that, how many times is that word zoe used by Jesus? And do you know what you would find? This was the fun illustration here, is if I showed you all of those passages in John, all but four of them are in red. Now, you'll remember that the red letter edition Bibles that came out was a way of saying, we're going to take everything Jesus said and put it in red. And so when you look up the word life in John, you see it's all red. Jesus is the one who's using this word life over and over and over again. And if you notice that and allow that word life to leap off the page, by the time you get to John chapter 6, you're nodding your head when one of the people outside of Jesus who uses life, you start nodding your head with Peter. When Jesus says, well, everybody else is leaving, you guys want to leave me too? And Peter says, where are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And if you've been reading through John, you'd say, yeah, Jesus is the only one using this word <laughs> up until then. He is the one who has the words of life. And so the, the point really for today is, can you learn to see this word life uh, jump off the page and realize, it's a bit of a side point and we'll take some time chewing on to remember, is that almost every time when Jesus uses the word life, it's this word zoe with one exception. And that is, whenever he talks about laying down your life, or whenever he says that he is laying down his life, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Whenever he talks about laying down his life, guess which of those different forms of life he's talking about? Which one? It's not his soma. No, it's not his spirit. He doesn't lose his spirit. What does he lay down? Jump in there, Aiden. You can. He lays down his self. The word suke, the word that is soul. But do you know you'll never, ever, ever in Scripture find anywhere where Jesus lays down his Zoe? Because that's what he is. Remember John, when he started out telling us, he says, uh, in, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then through him all things were made. And that which was made in him was life. And that's the word Zoe. He has, he is, in him is this Zoe. But the one exception to read in John when Jesus lays something down is he's laying down his very self. Well, let's read a passage together and see if it helps define life for us a little bit better. Turn to John chapter 11. If you don't have a scripture with you, just sit back, close your eyes, and listen to the story unfold. And I'm going to read uh, 
portion of the story here where Jesus is going to be called to go to a place called Bethany because his friend, friend Lazarus has, in the words of Jesus, fallen asleep. Let's see what the word life means in this passage. And then as we read, realize we're going to ask a question right afterwards, which is, what do you learn about real life in this passage? Verse 1, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary, by the way, who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Well, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about ten miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, or the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit. Actually, let me say that a little bit differently. 
he was uh, moved with anger in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Well, let's end our reading of the passage there. But like any good trailer, you see what that story does? You don't want to stop there, do you? And I hope you don't. You'll read the rest. But let's take that passage as an example. And it's only one example of the many, many, up to 47 times in John that you're going to run across this idea of the word life. Do you have a battery for me? And let's, let's discuss for a little while. What, uh, what do you learn about real life in this passage? somehow related with Christ because in verse 25 he says I am the resurrection and the life. Those two are so intertwined he has to put them together. Yeah. That's a great point. So the, the comment there is that Jesus puts together two concepts. I am the resurrection and I am the life. So important that it's as if they have to be put together All right, now we're back online. What else? What else do you notice? <laughs> when I think of life here on Two go together, so life. And our life eternally is salvation because of Christ through Christ. It's the eternal. So Jesus pays, and Jesus is the, and I'll throw that word in there, he is the life into the age, the eternal life. And I didn't mention that here, but this word life that you come across is that word zoe. This is the all-encompassing fullness divine life Put the word real in front of it if you need to. Real life. And you're saying that's connected to... The salvation. You know, and what's interesting, Patty, is that's exactly what the disciples say to Jesus. You wouldn't catch this, but when they say, Lord, if he's asleep, let him sleep, and he will get well. Do you know they use the word, same word that's used for, he will be saved. 
it's a little foreshadowing John throws in. The word can have both meanings. Either you're sick and you get well, or things are not right spiritually and you are saved. It's the same word. Isn't that interesting? And it's our spiritual life that is alive in Christ through salvation. Ah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Our spiritual life remains alive. Is that what you said? Well, it is alive in Christ. So we remain alive in Christ. Through the salvation. Because of the work he has done. I think you're on to something really important there. What else do you notice about life? What do you learn about life from this story? You can die and still have life. Interesting. Now, did they teach you that in medical school? No, that wasn't one of the things they taught us. I don't remember that in my courses either. There was... In fact, they argue about when a person is really dead. Is it when the brain's dead? When the heart stops? We're taught to determine the time of death. I won't get into why that's kind of a fuzzy number right now. But yeah, they taught us that it's either dead or alive. And here, Jesus, see, what does he mean by that then? The person could be dead but alive. Let me get back to those meanings of life. What, what the actual word means. Physically dead, but so a Good. Yeah. So Dr. Huffington reminds us that your soma, your body, can be dead, but you can still have this zoe. It's a sin and alive in the spirit, and it's the eternal spirit that's a gift by believing in Christ. That's the gift that you Ah, now that's interesting. Liz brings up this idea of life is a gift. And you said from the Spirit? Well, it's eternal life that mm-hmm. Christ gives you from believing in Him and mm-hmm. trusting in Him. So that's a gift of Him. That's right. Yeah, life is a gift. And I don't know if you meant this, but you are taking us all the way back to the beginning, to the garden. Do you remember that life was a gift? And you remember how that life was given? God pushes together a body there made out of clay. And then how did he give life to this body? He breathed. Yeah, put your hand right here in front of your face and just say, hello. You feel the the wind there? The word there in in Hebrew is that God, I think in Hebrew it says it blew into his nostrils, this breath of zoe. When they translate that, the first Greek translation of the Old Testament, it says, God blew in his face. (laughs) The breath of Zoe. And guess what the word breath is there? This will be, we'll go over this in a different week, I think. It's the word spirit. Pneuma. He gave the pneuma of Zoe. Okay, I'm going to make your brain explode if you get into that too deeply, but just realize, as Liz says, in the beginning... That was a gift given by God. He was the source of life. And even John, if you've read through this in chapter 5, he he says it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. And so that concept is going to come out throughout John. It is a gift. You're exactly right. What else do you learn about life? Or what questions come up? Feel free to say, well, this doesn't make sense to me. A related passage in Matthew. Um, 
So talking about taking us back to the resurrection and quoting the passage from Matthew, there are similar passages you'll read in John. You know, we'll get into those in the I am statements that Jesus makes. But there the passage from Matthew saying that I am the God of those who are living, not the God of the dead. And, uh, and that points us to this idea of resurrection. And brings us back to John 11 where Martha, I mean, you see how this story plays out. She's distraught. Her brother's dead. His body's dead. And she goes up to Jesus and says, you know, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, oh, do you remember what she said right after? Jesus, he wouldn't have died. But then there's sort of this wink, wink. But I know that uh, God will do whatever you ask him. <laughs> you know. And Jesus gives her this beautiful answer. Okay. Your brother will live. And she says, I know that he will be raised at the resurrection at the last day. She's pointing to this future event when the resurrection will occur. You read about that in Daniel 12. Uh, There was this expectation that at the end of time, God would raise the dead. And she says, I know my brother will come back at that last day at the resurrection. What does Jesus say to her? I almost picture Jesus taking her face into his hands and looking her in the eyes and saying, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. What is Jesus trying to communicate to Martha there? What's that, Mike? Yeah, life is. Mike says life is through Jesus. same one Jesus poses to Martha. And he looks at her and says, do you believe it? Now why would John put that question in there for Martha? It's 
because the question was not just for her. It's for you. And that's what he's leading to you to at the very end of the book. He says, all this is written so that you'll answer that question the same way that Martha did. He's trying to teach you of life. Let me give you a final quote, and then any final questions we're happy to answer, too. Um, we uh, both have relied heavily on a commentary by D.A. Carson. And one of the things he says in his commentary on John is that in this passage, Jesus' concern is to divert Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what takes place on the last day to a personalized belief in him who alone can provide it. Do you catch what he's saying? Is that the resurrection, a belief in the resurrection, is not a belief in some future event. The acquisition of life and having life is not a belief cognitively in a list of uh, passages and say, yeah, I believe that. It's a belief in a person. It's a following of the Christos, the one in whom there is. Well, and that's the final bell. Yeah. Take us home. Land the plane. <laughs> I think when we go through this concept of life, um, one of the things that really caught my attention was this idea of giving up everything. And we don't have time to go into it, but um, if you look up one of John's disciples, his name is Polycarp, if you look up the way he died, uh, look up one of the things he says that's quoted to him at the last moments of his life. Um, he, was, he was put on a stake and he was set on fire. Uh, the flames actually didn't kill him. He ends up getting stabbed in his side with a spear. One of the things he says is, you have made my life a preparation for this, referring to his death. You let me see that this was to happen, and now you have brought it to pass, for you are the true and faithful God. In a moment where he has what we would consider no life left, he feels like he has the most life to give. And I would, I would highly suggest you look up his life and what happened to him, um, because it's really impactful, it's really powerful. And as you start reading through the book of John and you hone in on these moments of life and what it means to really live, uh, your whole world will be turned upside down. So hopefully you see that in the coming weeks um, as we continue to go through the study of John. Yeah, well said. So as you read through John next time, realize the whole reason John wrote this book is so that you would believe that Jesus was the Christ, Son of God, and by believing you would have life in his name. Spend some time this week, scan through the book, and see if that word life now doesn't just leap off the page at you. May God bless the reading of his word and our attempts this week to put it into practice. Thank you. Let's pick up the worship.